live A-C-U. from the ACU of Texas Studios. This is the Clear Lake Today Podcast Network. Welcome to Meet in the Middle Chronicles. I'm Sam Collins. And I'm Norman Papoose. We met in an office and discovered that despite each of us consistently voting for different political parties, we shared a common goal of leaving our kids a better world. When we started talking to each other, we found that we could meet in the middle on many issues that face our nation. That got us wondering, why can't our elected representatives agree? Find the middle on issues. I don't give up my values when I compromise, and neither does Sam. But we know that compromise serves our kids better than what we see in the current political atmosphere. We had a successful radio show, then the Chinese bought the station. But we got with the times, and now we have a podcast. So sit back and listen. Today, we cover the mess in Virginia, the one man that we believe is Joe Biden's biggest threat, and it's not Donald Trump or any of the Democratic candidates. And now we know uh, where to hang out in D.C. if we want to meet some power players. Let's get to it. Sam, issue number one. Shall the South rise again? Gun rights activists want a judge to block the Virginia government from banning guns on Capitol grounds during a massive pro-gun rally scheduled for next week. Governor Ralph Northam announced Wednesday a state of emergency banning weapons of any kind from the rally. The governor cited threats of militia groups planning to attend. Now gun rights groups are filing a lawsuit seeking an injunction against the ban. An attorney for the groups argued prohibiting rally goers from carrying guns would violate their Second Amendment right to bear arms and their First Amendment right to free speech. A diverse gathering of pro-gun protesters set to descend upon Virginia's capital on Monday could include an unlikely ally, a local Antifa group. In a completely unexpected development, the local Richmond-based Antifa group also strongly opposes the governor's proposed gun measures that are likely to become law since Democrats won control of both Virginia houses last year. Some members of the Antifa group on the West Coast practice and condone violence against their political enemies and have even been called a major organization of terror by President Donald Trump. However, a spokesperson for the Richmond-based Antifa group was quoted by Vice. He stated, I think what's particular about the South is that we have to be a bit more creative and sensitive to the people around us instead of fulfilling some sort of meme of what Antifa is. That's really what we're trying to work against right now, especially by talking to conservatives and showing we aren't just a black-clad group of rabble-risers who are out for attention and have jobs funded by George Soros. This is completely fascinating, and I have to say, uh, I was in Virginia for the past week. That's uh, where I'm from. My mother's there. I have lots of very close friends there. Lived there for you know over 25 years. They are really angry. Um, there are a lot of people in Virginia who are really angry, and, and I wanted to, I want to tell you why they're angry. Because if you say, well, why you're angry, they'll tell you. These are the um, these are some of the uh, proposed laws that are coming up in the Virginia legislature. Uh, the first one is one we see a lot. Uh, they want Virginia's electoral college votes to be awarded to the winner of the national popular vote. Um, another law says that the governor should be elected by the majority of votes in congressional districts, not by a statewide majority. So if there are 30 congressional seats in Virginia and you win 16, the population in 16 of those congressional seats, you win. 
Um, it restores convicted rights, uh, voting rights to convicted felons, which I, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't have that big an issue with that. You know, if you we, pay your price to society, we agree on the middle there. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but you have to, you know, I, I, for instance, it would be, a, it would be a cold day in hell before I'd let, um, you know, the guy who, uh, who, uh, spent billions of other people's money, you know, he's got to pay those people back before he gets his voting rights. Um, same with you know uh, convicted felons of rape or murder or something like that. But others, you know, they pay their price, let them vote. But here's the other thing that's crazy: um, he wants to allow existing felons in the system and those who've been declared mentally incompetent. He wants to allow them to vote. Um, it also increases his uh, term limit from four years to eight years because I don't know if people listening know it. In Virginia, you, you get one term as governor. No, uh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. And so those are some of the specific laws that people are upset about in uh, in Virginia. But most of it, most of the the high level anxiety uh, is being portrayed as Second Amendment rights stuff, and that's where this march comes in. And the fact that Antifa is joining together with what you would call, I guess, you know, right wing, the right wing of the political spectrum, is completely fascinating. Well, uh, for me. Uh, when I first heard this story and, and heard about this pro-gun rally, I, I have issue for another reason. Uh, I'm a licensed uh, gun owner, but I have issues that this is being done on the Dr. King holiday. So January 20th, a person that, that stood for nonviolence, uh, that stood up uh, for peace, that the rally would be scheduled on this day, a pro-gun rally, I don't think that's honoring the memory and I know they don't care they have the freedom to live their lives whenever they want to but I just think that uh, it's a bad message to be doing this on Dr. King's holiday and I wish they had chose a different day well now, yeah that's a that's a legit thing to point out but I think they would also might say that you know the second amendment is a basic right and that's what that's what you know uh, Dr. King stood up for were basic human rights I uh, and, and I and, and I get that, and you know I don't want anybody to take away uh, my weapons. But I was looking at something, uh, you know. Often individuals say we have to have our guns uh, so that uh, the government uh, doesn't uh, doesn't become a police state. If the U.S. government decides to take an individual or a community out, there's nothing we could do to stop them. Right. I don't know. Uh, I saw a video clip recently of the U.S. missile defense uh, of the recent attack at the uh, uh, overseas. Mm -hmm. There's nothing we could do. I mean, the technology of how they were able to defend that base, uh, and that's just a very simple thing. I mean, they can send a drone to take individuals out. They don't have to send human beings now at, at this point. So to think that my handgun or my rifle is going to hold off the government Sure, but yeah. let me, let, let me, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, but let me tell you where I think it, the Second Amendment plays its role. First of all, you have to remember, and, and we saw this when uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, those people who are in the Army, who are in the military, who are in the sheriff's offices or the National Guard are our brothers, our sisters, our fathers, our sons, our daughters. And they are going to hesitate to use military force against the population. I think they will hesitate even more strongly if they think that the population is willing to put up a fight and they will have to use overpowering force in order to execute a governor's wishes. And that's where I think the Second Amendment comes in, is that if, if, if you have 100 people who are armed 
and the military knows they're going to have to use some really drastic force to impose the law on those hundred people, I think the military might turn around and say, "You got you know you 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 started this, you fix it." Yeah, the the uh, I don't have a, a problem uh, with the with with the governor on this one day. I know that that may sound bad. That like if you give them this this right to uh, declare a state of an emergency. But I just don't see the need to show up with all of these weapons but you at see, this rally. That's what the NRA would tell you is the government doesn't get to tell us what we need. Yeah, that, okay. that's their argument. Now, to close it out, though, you know what the other thing that's really interesting is? And we didn't bring this up as a segment, but uh, we encourage our listeners to go look it up. Apparently, there are some uh, some legislators in the state of West Virginia who have invited the counties of Virginia because Virginia and West Virginia prior to the Civil War were one state. And some of the legislators in West Virginia have entered uh, a legisl- proposed legislation for Virginia counties to secede and join West Virginia. Hmm, and apparently there's a legal path to that that dates back to the 1850s. Well, we'll stay tuned and see what happens. (laughs) It's going to be totally incredible. Okay, issue number two. Will Lincoln Chafee cost Joe Biden the presidency? Former Rhode Island Senator and Governor Lincoln Chafee has filed to run for the presidency as a libertarian. Chafee registered his campaign with the Federal Election Commission on Sunday. The filing also links to a fundraising website that features such slogans as Lincoln leads with truth and 30 years, zero scandals. According to the Providence Journal, Chafee will formally announce his candidacy on Wednesday. Chafee began his political career as a Republican. He was appointed to his late father's U.S. Senate seat in 1999 before getting elected for the position a year later. He lost his Senate seat in 2006, but he was elected governor of Rhode Island in 2010 as an independent. Chafee joined the Democratic Party in 2013 and sought the party's presidential nomination in 2015. He participated in the first Democratic debate, but ended up dropping out shortly after due to low polling numbers. Lincoln Chafee is running for the Libertarian nomination for president of the United States. He is no lightweight. Chafee was a U.S. senator and a governor. He aligned himself with the Republicans prior to 2007, then became an independent, then decided he was a Democrat, and that is how he has defined his politics until he announced his candidacy for the Libertarian nomination. Interestingly, even when his political offices have all been associated with his home state of Rhode Island, uh, Wikipedia lists his existing residence in Wyoming. Now, Sam... Could this guy be the second coming of Ross Perot, who was a successful third-party candidate? Uh, Chafee's positions lend themselves to support and criticism from both sides, but overall his votes tend to side with moderate Democrats, um, but not the progressive wing. Could he hand the election of President Trump? Because it seems to, he seems to be just to the right of Biden, but to the left of President Trump. Where do you see him coming down? Uh, I, I don't... Uh think that he's going to uh, be a Ross Perot. Uh, and, and for me, uh, I'm more concerned about Bloomberg than Chafee because of the resources Bloomberg has yeah. uh, as a third party candidate uh, or just as an independent uh, of, of throwing his resources and money out there just to upset the apple cart, so to speak. Uh, but 
you know, uh, here, you know, some of his his positions, uh, he could he could pull a few. But I think this this uh, election is going to come down to these the two major parties and individuals when they go in are going to see casting that vote for a libertarian or independent that's just a waste. It's not going to be a protest vote uh, if they're upset with the Democratic nominee. I think people are going to just pinch their nose and swallow so they don't taste it, even if they don't want the... For those that are in the middle that are anti-Trump, I'm saying, yeah, they, no, they, will just, they will just pick the side and, and, and go with the the candidate they think has the best chance. Uh, and, and, you know, it's unfortunate because some of these individuals that may be in the middle may have a better platform that would be, you know, our whole whole issue is trying to find the middle ground, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that that individual has the best, best chance of winning. I think uh, Biden, of course, is closer to the middle than the extreme left of the Democrats, and that's why he's leading right now uh, in the polls in the Democratic uh, primary. Uh, overall, I'm not just talking about in the first uh, first election, uh, in the primary. But here, here's here's where I come down. First of all, I, I, it really upsets me that the libertarians in today's political environment seemingly can't get a dog catcher elected. I mean, they have got to be the most inept group of people I've ever seen. And we, we both know this show has reached out to libertarians. And one of our biggest uh, interviews that, that was watched on YouTube was with the Texas Libertarian Senate candidate, a guy named Neil Dykeman, who was an extremely intelligent guy. He knew the issues. Um, but he had no resources. He had some pretty bad advice about, you know, about uh, how to get out there in public and interact. Um, and, you know, if you look at the history of the libertarian movement, you know, th- they get some real whack jobs out there. But, you know, they also get some people who are pretty serious. OK, their last two presidential candidates, you know, he had a major flub with Aleppo and all that. But Bill Weld, his number two, was you know very well respected uh, Republican, moderate Republican, Reagan Republican. Um, and I think if Chafee gets uh, the money, because I think what you're saying is right, but if Chafee gets the resources, he has a, a machine that he can tap into, and they're not going to make those same mistakes that were made last time. Um, can he take a state? No, but he might be able to take enough votes in a state to keep it from you know the Democratic candidate. I don't see a lot of the base of the Republicans moving away from Trump to Chafee but I could see a lot of the uh, the moderate Democrats move into Chafee because you know his views on uh, on uh, reproductive systems. Um, he voted for Glass Steagall, voted uh, voted for um, making tuition affordable. Uh, the SUV. He has an F rating from the NRA. There's a lot of stuff that moderate Democrats will like about this guy, but you know, I, you know, will the Libertarian Party pull the you know pull their pants up? And act like adults. You know, that's the question. I, I, I don't think uh, he stands a chance. Again, uh, I'm more afraid of uh, Bloomberg. Uh, uh, if he doesn't get the Democratic nomination of running independently. Do you think he'd run independently? He has the resources he could. Just his ego may do it. You know, put. He, he, I don't think he ha- he'll have a chance to win. And, you know, in the Democratic primary, if he can't win the African-American vote, uh, and because of some of his history with stop and frisk and other things, he's not going to win. I don't think he's going to win. 
the Democratic primary uh, nomination. I don't see how you could do it. And well, it's interesting you say that because Bloomberg is basically seeding Iowa and New Hampshire the first two votes, but he's going after uh, Super Tuesday, which includes Nevada and uh, Texas, and I don't think it includes South Carolina. But there's a huge number um, of states that will have a major. A proportion uh, representation of African Americans voting, and like you said, I haven't seen a lot of African Americans who look at his record and go, "Oh yeah, we like this guy based on what he did in New York." Yeah, and um, we don't have the video clip, but a recent interview on the View, uh, he was he was challenged, and his reply, I don't think was uh, it was kind of kind of canned. He's been, I guess, preparing for this question. But it wasn't. It didn't seem sincere to me. His apology didn't seem sincere to me. It seemed politically expedient. Uh, okay, I'm going to run for president, so I got to say I'm sorry about stopping Frisk. Mm-hmm. Uh, because just as recent as they said on the View in January, he was still trying to defend his decision. But come November of 2019, all of a sudden he's standing in front of a church and saying he's sorry about the stop and frisk. And he had tried to schedule that at another location at the Schomburg Center, but they shut him down and said, no, we're not going to participate in this game. So so people are wiser than he thinks. And if he doesn't win the African-American females, which was uh, uh, the individual posing a question to him on The View, he's out of there. Do you think that he would have stood a better in better stead with the African-American community if he had said, yes, I did stop and frisk, and yes, you know, knowing what I knew then, I would make the same decision because it, it made your community safer, even though there was a heavy price to pay. Well, he, he, he claims that it, it, it made it uh, safer, but the cost uh, of the lives that it affected was too high. Uh, I don't think people understand how uh, individuals feel and how it affected the community with what happened. I, I believe they said 90% of the stops led to no convictions or no, they didn't find any guns or anything, broken laws. Well, why, won't, why won't this plague Joe Biden, too? Because Joe Biden was part of the uh, crime bill that Bill Clinton signed that now everybody points to and says, you know, this took out a major uh, part of the African-American co- community and imprisoned them. Why, won't that? But Joe's polling really well with African-Americans. He, he's riding the, the coattails of the uh, Obama. <laughs> Straight out. <laughs> okay. <Hello. laughs> Got it. Okay. Yep. All right. Let's see. Uh, next story. Who's buying the drinks at the Washington, D.C. Trump Hotel? How did someone like Robert Hyde gain access to the President of the United States? And the answer to that was laid out by Lev himself, who told Rachel Maddow how easy it is to get close to the president's inner circle. Just show up at the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C. That's how Parnas himself met Robert Hyde. You met him where? I met him at the, I think at the Trump Hotel. Yes, the Trump Hotel. He was a regular at the bar. Because it was like a breeding ground at the Trump Hotel, so it, every event would be there, so everybody would hang out there afterwards, everybody, all the meetings would be there, so it's basically, you would see the same people uh, every day, all the same congressmen that supported the president would be there, and nobody else. So he was a fixture on site, he was always there, and, but he was always drunk. What you gotta understand is, uh, when we're in the Trump Hotel, it's like one big uh, cesspool, and there's really hard to keep any secrets. Norm, this is crazy, supporters of President, of- Supporters of the President of the United States of America seem to be meeting at the Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C. 
these individuals seem to be able to insert themselves into the operations of the office of the presidency. Uh, did you watch the Maddow interview with Parnas? Yes. Uh, if this guy is legit, it paints Trump in a bad light, which is easy to do. Maybe even an illegal light, right? Uh, isn't the interview just more proof of the backroom dealings of the current administration? You know, it's it, it, I, those interviews were crazy. I mean, crazy. And if the guy hadn't hadn't been arrested and is under federal indictment for money laundering and I think something about uh, faking documents, something like that, uh, I'd be a lot more worried. Um, still, you, you know who when this comes up with Rudy Giuliani, what was Rudy Giuliani doing talking to this guy? And what were they trying to do? Now, here's here. Let me tell you two things, and then I'll I'll, I'll let you have it back because I, I know there's a lot of ammo here that you probably want to use. But there are two things that I look at, and I want these questions answered. The first one is the Maddow interviews were fabulous, but you know what they were missing? They were missing that blue dress with the DNA on it. That's okay. what they were missing. They had to throw that in there. Huh? Well, <laughs> yeah, well, no, but but this is an impeachment. It can't and, just be a smoking gun. You had yeah. to throw in the blue dress. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, but but you know, the Clinton the Clinton impeachment never would have moved forward without that blue dress and the DNA. Okay, just like uh, the Nixon impeachment probably wouldn't move forward, you know, with John Dean cracking and you know and going to the other side and that testimony, um, and the tapes. You know, mm -hmm. this is stuff. You know, when it comes out of the president's mouth, you know, or other places, you know, and, and it's there for everybody to see. You know, it, it's a done deal. So first of all, there's no, no, uh, no tapes, no DNA on the blue dress. But the second thing um, that that you know that I, I want answered is okay. Everything he said if it's true, does not paint the president in the best light, but is it illegal? Uh, to pay to play is, is illegal. Uh, I guess in, in you just have to uh, uh, track track the funds and, and the favors, I guess, that individuals are getting. Uh, it's sort of But sort he, of didn't, like, he didn't say anybody was getting paid, though. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you talked about the, 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 the evidence. I, I think in the modern technology, with, with modern technology, you have uh, emails, text messages, uh, individuals being recorded everywhere they go. All the all the pictures that pop up, uh, you know, we've we've been at events together. We could take a picture, and I, I don't know Norm. I, 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 mean, I don't know nothing about this guy. You know, Sam, you were on the radio with him. You interviewed with him. Yeah, you, you spoke up. You know, and I just deny, deny, deny. Uh, but but some of these, I think there is evidence coming out slowly but surely uh, of more incriminating things, uh, and, and it's actually it's disturbing. I'm I'm just surprised at uh, at the unforced errors that are made by creating electronic paper trails of some of the things that that are happening. Uh, and it could be if, uh, elected officials on yeah. both sides and, of the and, aisle. Right. And if you yeah. know there's one thing that drives me absolutely insane is unforced errors. It drives me crazy when, you know, when I see that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah. but where's the illegality? I mean, Rudy is – now, if Rudy is saying that he's working for the office of the presidency, you know, then there's an issue there. That, well, that's a big problem. Well, e even with him saying he's working for the president – because he said he's work he's he's working for the president. Well, every president has a personal attorney. 
Yeah, but he he he's he's uh, acting as a personal attorney, but uh, it appears that there may be uh, evidence of him trying to influence government business. Yes, yeah, and that's a problem. Yeah, but is it a problem for Trump? Yes, be- because he knows. No, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, is it a legal problem for Trump? Because he can say, "I never told Rudy to go out and do this." And if Rudy falls on the sword, well, I don't think Rudy's going to fall on the sword, but he could fall on the sword. Uh, but I, I think for anybody to believe that the president did not have knowledge of what Rudy was doing is just ludicrous. Yeah, I, I think that I think one of the Worst things that Trump has done is bring Rudy into his inner circle. I think he should have listened to other counsel about that. Unforced Uh, error. Yeah. No, it was an unforced error. Um, But we're not talking a lot about the impeachment and the trials going on. This is Friday, and I think yesterday the people were sworn in and all that kind of thing. But it's going to be interesting to see if this comes up. And, Sam, we we don't have impeachment as one of the topics here, but I – I will I will take a hammer and nails to all my windows, to all my doors. I will rip every communication device out of my house when Hunter Biden takes the stand, if Hunter I, Biden takes the stand. I don't think he will. Uh, I don't think uh, they will have witnesses. We, they should. Every other impeachment has. I don't I don't think they I think they have the votes. Uh, the Republicans have the votes, the 51 votes they need. I think they're just going to vote it down, vote against it, and, and it's going to be an uh, unfortunate waste of a, a great deal of time. I know there are Democrats that feel like it just had to be done, uh, but I, I, I felt like the resources and time should have been focused on uh, picking a better candidate uh, or picking the best candidate you have and telling us why you're better for the future than the current administration as opposed to um, you know, going down this yeah. impeachment trail. And by the way, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're running out of time on this spot, but by the way, I just want to insert real, you know, the Democratic debate real quick. I thought Klobuchar did really well. I, and I think she represents the moderate Democrats very well. I, and I was, but I was also disappointed that Yang went on the stage. I think he's got some good ideas. He has some good ideas. Uh, you know, it's a shame that uh, Booker and Harris, uh, Castro all are gone. Uh, you know, Mayor Pete with 11,000 votes is on the stage. I don't get it. No. And, uh, I but I, I, I will tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to smack the Democrats in the face on one thing. They keep talking about how Iowa and uh, New Hampshire are so white and we can't start our elections there and everything else. The national polls were not doing any favors to the African-American candidates. So it had nothing to do with Iowa and New Hampshire. Well, you know, uh, also raising the, the, the resources to, to run a successful campaign. You know, you see uh, the billionaires come in and spend $100 million mm-hmm. apiece. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's ridiculous. But you know, a lot of Repub- this is where I think a lot of Republicans and Democrats are going to meet. The money thing on this is insane. It goes to lobbying. It goes to elections. It goes to everything. We've got to get the money out of this process. Who would, who would, Bloomberg had budgeted, I think, as much as $3 billion to possibly spend on a campaign. Imagine, it, it, imagine just, how many kids he could send to college. How, uh, how much work could be done with that money in communities all over the country and repair work that could be done uh, for his failed policies of mm-hmm. stop and frisk. Right, yeah. 
Okay. Okay, that's it for this week. Uh, please like us on Facebook. Okay, for the end of the show, as we do every week, we're going to be offering up some story headlines that might interest you. From Reuters, Facebook sued in U.S. federal court for alleged anti-competitive conduct. And Sam, you know this just breaks our heart. Um, we've had such we've had a really ridiculous time with Facebook ads. Um, and if you want to read about it, I have a, I have a LinkedIn article on it. Uh, just go to my LinkedIn, Norman Papoose. Um, and truthfully, I'm not going to lose a bit of sleep over Facebook. And uh, you know, Zuckerberg isn't going to lose a bit of sleep over it either. Uh, from CNN, uh, this is uh, very close to me because I'm a Cowboys fan and famed Cowboys player snub from Hall of Fame. Drew Pearson denied after 30 years. Pearson was the lone member of the 1970s all-decade team to not be enshrined. This is a travesty. He needs to be in. I absolutely concur. As a, as a Redskin fan of the 70s, 80s, and most of the 90s, um, Drew Pearson just made me, you know, just gave me gut wrench every time I saw him, I saw him running down the field. He he was a fabulous player. This is an injustice. Now, uh, okay, for those of you who uh, you know are a bit sensitive, turn down the volume for about the next fifteen seconds. From the BBC Culture uh, section, <laughs> I can't believe this is a story. How vaginas are finally losing their stigma. I, I didn't know they had a stigma, but cue the Gwyneth Paltrow, this smells like my vagina candles, that actually sold out. They sold out at 75 bucks a pop. Uh, I, I don't know what to say. Um, $75, just the title on the, on the jar. I just don't see <laughs> buying it. I'm not bringing it. What, what man would even bring that home? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I guess married men, individuals, single well, men, or other individuals, if they like it. I don't know. I don't know who bought it. Maybe women bought it. Anybody, I mean, anybody could have bought it, but they sold out. So their marketing is better than ours, I guess. Uh, from LiveScience.com, the major discoveries that could transform the world in the next decade. It's a really interesting article. Uh, Vox.com, the surprising protest of Exxon's law firm at Harvard Law. Law students uh, want to cut off the supply of Harvard Law talent to firms that are defending fossil fuel companies uh, in the climate change lawsuits. Wow. All right. From AsiaTimes.com, behind the glamour lurks Bollywood's dark side, Bollywood's casting couch. Culture underlines the challenges facing anyone seeking to break into India's massive insiders-only film industry, where the Me Too movement has secured few wins. Yeah, it's uh, it's really bad over there. The, from The Verge, uh, Twitter allowed ad targeting based on neo-Nazi keyword. This is nutty. Um, the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, ran an ad on Twitter and says it was able to target Twitter users who were interested in the words white supremacist, transphobic, and anti-gay, among other slurs. Um, again, you, you know, the, the, the technology uh, uh, that and, and these ads, uh, they need to be, uh, these companies need to be responsible for uh, what they are allowing. Uh, no, they, they say that you should have freedom of speech and things, but they need to be held responsible. 
because uh, it's getting pretty dangerous. That's it. Enough people go out and meet in the middle. Compromise. Leave our kids a better place. See ya.